Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information about our church and service times, please visit revival.me. Enjoy the message. All right, so we're going to read from John chapter 21. And uh, man, I love this story. This is so beautiful. So let's dive in. I'm just going to read the text and then pray and then just go for it. And we're going to start at verse 15. Are you guys there? Everybody there? In the New King James. So when they had eaten breakfast, mm, can we just stop for a moment? Thank God for breakfast. (laughs) All I had was a protein shake this morning. So (laughs) breakfast got me like the Holy Spirit was all over that. There was illumination and revelation and Oh, glory to God. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep, or take care of my sheep. Verse 17, then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself And walked where you wish, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he spoke, signifying by the death that he that would glorify God. Um, And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Amen. Such a beautiful text. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people this morning. Uh, It's just such a wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, We thank you that we can gather in your presence. I pray that your word would go forth and and just change and transform and just sow into our hearts truth uh, that leads to metamorphosis, Lord, transformation from glory to glory. We thank you for the truth of who you are, not just in information, but revelation, that we experience who you are. You are truth. And as we experience truth, we are made free. And so I just declare freedom. And uh, I bless your people this morning. Um, They look so good this morning in the Holy Ghost. And so I just bless them and honor them in Jesus' name. Amen. You really do look great this morning. Look at the person next to you say, you look really good in the Holy Ghost. That was just so I could drink coffee. I didn't, it's really, it was not meant to be spiritual. Uh, I love this text and I want to talk to you this morning about God knows. He knows. And I want to just talk about three different things that he knows. And it's in this restorative uh, and reconciling questions that Jesus asked Peter. We know the story of Peter denying the Lord. How many know the story of Peter having the revelation or the courage to speak up in Matthew 16 who Jesus is? He says, who do men say that I am? And, and Peter is affirmed 
It's not flesh and blood that revealed that to you, Jesus said, but it's the Father who revealed it. And, and then shortly after that, Peter's rebuked and called Satan. You know, how many just love the Apostle Peter? How many feel like him sometimes? The one with the sword. And Jesus is like, Peter, put the sword down, man. Um, but we, I want to look at this restorative moment post-resurrection. And I believe the Lord... Uh, is going to minister to us. It, it ministered to me uh, when, as I was just studying and, and preparing for this. And, and so I want to go through this. And the first thing I'm going to talk about is what he knows. And he knows where you are. He knows where you are. He knows right where you are. And in fact, I think I would preface that he knows who you are. He knows who you are. He sees you. The Lord sees you. He sees everything. Watch out now. He sees everything. In fact, the way that Jesus revealed God to us, because Jesus is the self-revelation of God. See, we've got to get rid of, we've got to allow the Spirit of God to light up our life in a way where we see who the Father is through the eyes of Jesus. And he sees you, and he knows who you are, and in the revelation that Jesus shows us of the Father, he says, the Father knows every hair on your head. For some of us, that's just a few. Come on, somebody. But there's still little ones there that you can't see. There's little tiny ones. Even if you shave, there's follicles there. The Father counts them. And that's not to demonstrate the omniscience of God. Of course, he's omniscient and knows everything. In context, Jesus is demonstrating, rather, the value that you are to the Father. That the Father loves you so much and values you so much that he just wants you to come sit in his lap and he'll count every strand of hair on your little head. And kiss you while he does it. And he says, look at the birds. They don't have to get their own food. There's food for them. How much more valuable are you than they? You see, there's this radical revelation that God gives us when he reveals himself that we are valuable to him. He knows where you're at and he knows who you are and he wants to pour out his love and affection on you. Amen. He knew exactly where Peter was at. Peter had just got un outran at, at the, the tomb. I think it was John, the beloved, the one whom Jesus loved, precious John. John is the favorite one. There's always a favorite disciple, right? There's always somebody in our life we look at and say, I wish I was like him. How come I can't be the one that sits and rests upon his heart? But the reality is, is that Peter could have at any time See, there's favor to those that choose to be close. I love all my kids the same, but the ones that come close, they get my affection, and they see my gaze. And Peter was outrun. <laughs> Peter denied the Lord. Peter was in the upper room when Jesus stooped low and washed the disciples' feet, washing even his betrayer's feet. Come on, somebody. Now, if I knew that, and I had a discipleship group, and I was going to wash all their feet, and I knew the one that was going to betray me, I wouldn't have invited him that day. 
Like, oh, we're not having discipleship. Oh, that's not what so-and-so said. No, yeah, they're wrong. You just stay home, pray, pray hard. That's your homework, disciple. Jesus washed Judas's feet. What humble love of leadership he showed. And even when Jesus was denied by Peter, this was a significant moment in Peter's life where Jesus would restore him. And the first thing is, he knows who you are. You're right where you're at. And he meets you where you're at. And the first time the Lord asks him, do you love me? Jesus says, do you agape me? Now, most of us know the word agape is not just like how we would use the word love, like I love cheeseburgers. Does anyone else like cheeseburgers? If you're lactose intolerant, you like burgers. And if you're a vegetarian, I'll pray for you. God have mercy upon your soul. Um, But we, we use the word love for so many things. But Jesus is saying, do you agape me? In other words, is your heart bent in a way that is that that is so committed and bonded to me that not even death can separate that bond. It's, it's self-giving love. It's the love uh, that we see at the cross. Fully displayed who God is. God is perfectly displayed at the cross. The self-giving, loving sacrifice poured out upon broken humanity. And, and Peter says... Yes, Lord, I phileo you. He uses a lower class, not just a different kind of love, which it is a different kind of love. It's not just like the agape, you know, self-giving, unconditional, strong love that death cannot quench. Uh, In the Hebrew, it would be ahava, the ahava love of God, the agape love of God. Peter says, Yes, Lord, I phileo you. In other words, yeah, Lord, we're bros. It's a brotherly. I I have affection for you, Lord. Peter was afraid to confess that he loved him to the uttermost because he already made that mistake one time before. I don't know about you, but in my faith and my Christianity, I remember I uh, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I got saved in June. I was 17. I turned 18 years old. Christmas Day... Uh, I was in Denver, Colorado, and I was meeting with a pastor, and I said, I want to receive the fullness of what God has for me. I want my prayer language. I want to receive the endowment of power, and where Jesus baptizes me in the Spirit. I knew the Spirit was lived inside of me, but I want to be clothed with power from on high. And he showed me some scriptures, laid hands on me, and it was like, bam, man, the power of God hit me. And I'm praying in my prayer language, and I, I couldn't stop. I was like this overzealous like, I, I wouldn't, in fact, after this, all I did was I prayed in tongues. Like, I, for hours, hours a day. Uh, super spiritual, right? Praise God. I'm so spiritual. Praise God. I just pat myself on the back real quick. Um, I'm so spiritual. Come on. I always have something spiritual to say, too. I remember one time the Lord rebuked me, and he's like, you always have something spiritual to say. And I was like, dang, Lord, that's kind of a rebuke. So I get baptized in the Spirit. I'm speaking in tongues, and then the pastor's like, stop. And I'm like, like awoken out of a, this state of ecstasy in God. And, and he says, now pray in tongues again. Go. And he taught me that it was a gift, and I could pray when I needed to. I didn't have to, like, be caught up to actually exercise the gift. It's given to me. It's mine. Come on, somebody. And I can release it. 
Now, I could also manifest it in, in a fleshly way and be too loud or be out of order or whatever, but that wasn't the point. He was trying to tell me, listen, you have this gift. And I looked at him, I said, I feel like I have all the faith in the world. In that moment, as an 18-year-old, not raised in the church, I'd been born again about six months, and I knew that if there was a dead body in front of me, I could raise that body from the dead. I had all the faith in the world. Now, it was shortly after this, I actually, about 10 months into my faith, I backslid for like, like three months. Started hanging out with my old friends. Oh, to a degree, it was kind of like Peter. How many have ever experienced where you just kind of, your heart kind of drifts away? We make choices and we turn away from the Lord. Hello? And if you don't feel like you have, well, I always go to church. Well, you probably go to church like the older brother and you become a hypocritical saint. We're either an honest sinner or a hypocritical saint. I'd rather be an honest person and come before God and say, yeah, I blew it. I messed up. And I'm 18 years old. And I remember this moment. I'll tell you this story real quick where I was partying with my friends and um, it was late and I was sitting there and I'm like, man, I kind of missed this. You know, like I was on fire for the Lord and bringing my Bible to school and I was a Jesus freak and all this stuff. And and this was a short time after I got saved that I kind of walked away from the Lord. And I remember sitting there and the Lord opened my spiritual senses and he allowed me to hear something in that room. There was nobody in there. And I heard this heckling demonic laughter and I heard, we got him now. And I knew at that second it was, there were demons They were trying to lure me back into bondage. It freaked me out. I woke up from my stoner stupor. I went from, uh, (laughs) to, oh, my God, I'm going to church. I woke up, drove home, like 3 in the morning, walked away. It was like God allowed me. He awakened my senses. But I remember going to church then in that moment, and I was so hungry I was so hungry for the love of God. See, there's something that's so beautiful and simple about evangelism. That people are hungry for the love of God. We try to feed them all the other stuff, information. We try to feed them a program. We try to feed them a formula to pray the sinner's prayer, which all, we, need, we need people to confess Jesus as Lord. I'm not against that. But listen, sometimes we just got to feed people the love of God. Sometimes we just got to embrace them and welcome them right where I, I learned this early on in my faith. I remember going to church, and man, it was like the prodigal son came home. This is how I felt, embraced by the love of God. God poured his love out of me, and I'm like, why do you love me so much? Why do I feel your presence? I, I blew it. You know, in times where I feel like my heart drifts away, and then I experience a radical love of God, I'm like, why do I experience more of your grace and more of your love? And God's like, it's not because somehow you're going to just keep going the wrong direction and keep experiencing my grace, but it's because you need it, because it's grace that causes you to rise up and overcome and not wander away. And so I learned in my Christian faith that God knew right where I was at. God knew who I was, and he saw me, and he valued me, and he was waiting and moving upon my heart, just like Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, I have affection for you. He was afraid to confess this confession of till death do us part, if you will. Like, yeah, I love you, Lord, but you know I already blew it, so I have affection for you. I I think I can do this. The other thing is God knows what we need. Number two, God knows what we need. He knows what we need. 
And one of the things that we need is his costly love, his mercy and grace, his kindness, his humble love, and his kiss of affection. Peter asks the Lord again, or uh, the Lord asks Peter again. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, do you agape me? Again, in the Greek, different type of love. And Peter again answers the same. Yes, Lord, I phileo you. And this time he says, intend, take care of my sheep. It's interesting, first he said, feed, and then he said, take care of. What a brilliant leadership quality that if we're not willing to go low and feed, we have no business trying to govern, rule, and cultivate as a leader. Tend my sheep. Take care of them. Feed them. Take care of them. But Peter again answers with the same thing. God knows what we need. Uh, I remember learning how to do outreach as a young person. And I remember like I, I was trained in in the in Christendom, you know, like I could I could take someone through Romans Road and lead them to Jesus. And you pray this and how many people you lead to the Lord this outreach Saturday. Well, I led four homeless people to the Lord. Praise God. Like I was I was there, right? I, I knew what I was doing. How many know what I'm talking about? Amen. Of course, I'm being facetious because, I mean, it was wonderful and glorious. And, of course, God rejoices. But I think sometimes we formalize it so much, we miss out on the simplicity. I wonder how many people we have got to repeat a few lines of prayer that were not genuine. And had we just loved them and fed them the love of God, then they would open their heart and pray their own prayer to ask Jesus to forgive them of their sin. And I'm not dumbing down the reality that we need to make a decision for Christ. Yes, we do. We need altar calls. There's no, now, by the way, that's newer to the church. An altar call, was. this is like the last 200 years. I, I, you know, John Wesley. Like, I, I believe it's important to make a decision. I love John Wesley. I think he's one of the most powerful revivalists of our time, the way he did theology. And we need to make a decision for Christ. But that does not come before the fact that Jesus made a decision for you. That you belong before you even believe, man. God had you in mind and you were the focus of his love. That's why you're still breathing. And before you were able to re rehearse some prayer, Jesus coming into my life, he had already invited you into his saving life. He had already shed his blood for you. He knows what you need and what you need is his love. See, you're hungry for something. Sometimes we're so hungry, we get hangry. We're hangry in church. We're, how many have ever had a family gathering and, it, like, the food's not ready yet? Ah, who's making the potatoes? What's walking? The potatoes aren't ready. <laughs> have you ever been cooking? And, like, it, timing is everything, by the way, when you're cooking. It's everything. Because if the steak's ready, you don't want cold steak. You let the meat rest about seven minutes after you cook it about... Six and a half minutes because you got to get it like in between medium and medium rare. It's got to be pink all the way through and it's got to have that crust on top. It's got to be ready for the garlic au jus that Zach makes. Come on, somebody. And the peppercorn. Hey, come on, somebody. Feed the people. Feed. Feed them, Lord. Uh, see, man, I get caught up in food. I like food, man, obviously. <laughs> I just left an all-inclusive resort, okay? And we got home, and it was like, Rashawn and I are laying in bed just chilling, and it was like, all of a sudden, we're like, we can't just go down to the buffet. We can't order room service. Dang it, we got to make our own food. And we've been gone, so we have no food at the house. What are we doing for dinner? Top ramen. No. 
God knows what we need. And we need his love. We need to feast on him. But timing is everything. Have you ever been in an environment where you're trying to cook a dinner and something's not ready and things just aren't right? Or you're, you're in a family environment. I don't, about for us, we, I don't know about you, but for us, we value the table. There's something about just sitting together and feasting where defenses come down and you actually sit face-to-face and heart-to-heart. Yeah, it's like why couples should date weekly. doesn't mean you have to go out to a restaurant. Married couples, spend time with your spouse. Love them. But as a family, sometimes we just need to sit down together. Sometimes that's all we need is just to sit down as a family, as a church family. And we have all these formulas and all these things we get caught up in. But Jesus knows what we need. And in this moment, he was restoring Peter. And he was, in fact, pouring out his humble love on Peter, his kindness. You see this in the story of the prodigal son. Um, A lot of times I think we give a lot of credit to the prodigal son thinking that he was this wonderful, you know, repentant sinner. But the Bible doesn't use the language. Jesus in the parable doesn't use the language of repentance about returning home. And in fact, if you look at it, when he came to his senses, he just wanted to go home and eat. He was tired of eating pig's food. He was hungry. There's a lot of people that are hungry. I've learned in outreaches even, like, before you feed them the love of God, feed them a meal. Show them hospitality. Remember the story of ISIS. Uh, they, they killed some Coptic Christians, beheaded them. In fact, 20-plus Coptic Christians. And one of the uh, interviewers of this media source, they said, well, what are you going to do to the Coptic bishop? What are you going to do about this? He says, well, of course we forgive them. I'm like, of course we forgive them. And then they asked the mother who lost two sons to a beheading from this radical Islamic group. She says, what about you? What are you going to do? She said, I would invite members of ISIS in my home and prepare a meal for them if perhaps their heart would be open to the love of God. You know, the story in the Old Testament where what do we do with our enemy? God's like, feed them. Love your enemies. Sometimes we just need to feed people. Real good soul food. Amen. And body food. Come on. That was pun. Like real soul food. Come on, collard greens. Oh, we were talking about soul food yesterday, bro. It's still on my mind. I said collard greens this morning. Like I'm ready for some soul food. But I learned in outreach when you're trying to reach out to people. And, you know, like I, we're doing these outreaches in the inner city and we're feeding. But before we would minister the gospel to them, we fed them because they needed to know they were loved. Not because we wanted, we, we didn't just want them to repeat a few lines. We wanted them to know they were significant. Yeah. Peter is getting restored because God knew what he needed. And in that moment, he just needed costly love poured out on him like the prodigal son. And the Bible says when the prodigal son came to his senses, while he was still a great way off, God, the father knew right where he was at. He was still far. And what does the Bible say? The father ran down to meet him. 
some of us give credit to ourselves even when we like backslide and walk away from the Lord and it's like, oh, I repented. And your repentance is a result of the love and the kindness of heaven. Oh, I'm so spiritual. I repent every day. I have to take communion. I'm so holy. You're not holy. You partake of his divine nature. Holiness is not a practice. It's a participation in the very grace of God. And the father runs down and embraces him and kisses him. God knows what we need. And we need the kiss of his love and affection. And this is what Peter was receiving. The last thing is he knows where we're headed. Now what's interesting, and this is brilliant, I, I, in, in the scripture, the last time he says, do you love me? Do you? Now, now Jesus asks it. You remember the first two times he says, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, I phileo you. Not fully committed. Like, I'm not all in, Lord. I already blew it. Then he asks him again, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. He's like, Lord, come on. Just like when the Lord washes feet. Oh, wash my whole, my whole body. Don't just wash my feet. You know, and Peter's always tripping, right? Just like we all do. And, and then Jesus, oh, the Lord. So kind. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? See, the Lord stooped down to his level. And he said, do you phileo me? The Lord came low. He said, do you phileo me? And this is what grieved Peter. Peter's like, why are you asking me again? Not just asking me again, but asking me if I phileo you. That was my response. Because Jesus knew what he needed and right where he was at and where he was headed and what he needed was Jesus to meet him face to face so he could be restored and lifted up. See, when the prodigal son returned, it was about the costly love that was poured out on him. This is why the prodigal son was restored. Not because... He came home, but because of costly love. And let us never forget to feast on the costly love of God. So costly. I need his love, man. Every day I need his presence. Like the air that I breathe, let us be utterly dependent upon the love of God. It's not only what the world needs, it's what we need. It's what marriages need. It's what family needs. It's what the church needs because we're hangry and we're, we're formulizing everything and we're all frustrated. And who, how come this isn't ready? Let's just sit down and feast on his love and it's going to be okay. Peter was probably ready to give up. He probably, in fact, was ready to go back to fishing. There's some obscurity to... When Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Well, what's these? Is it the apostles? Or is it the fact that they just came ashore with a bunch of fish? Maybe he was saying all this stuff. Do you love me more than the stuff and the rest? Probably all of the above. There's obscurity in the text. Are you going to go back to your business, Peter? Or are you going to follow me? He ends it with follow me. Follow me. Leave the stuff, Peter. Jesus restores him. But what he says here is so profound at the end. He says, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger and girded yourself 
and walk where you wish. He says, but when you are old, someone else will carry you where you do not wish. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is about ready to be killed. Probably beheaded just like James, one of the sons of thunder. Can you imagine the early church persecution begins and you're one of the disciples, one of the apostles, in fact, one of the 12, and one of them just got killed. And now you're in prison and you're next. And the Bible says the church fervently prayed for him. Fervently prayed for him. Peter's in prison and an angel of the Lord shows up and says, get up, dress yourself, and walk out of here. What did Jesus say? When you are old, someone else will dress you and carry you where you do not wish. He was still young. It was not his time. See, God knows where we're going. God has a plan and a destiny. And sometimes we feel imprisoned by failure and defeat and disappointment. And the Lord shows up and he says, stand up, dress yourself and come this way. Because it ain't your time yet. It's time for you to walk in the power of grace. That the love of God, the costly love of God restores us so that we can fly and soar and do what he's called us to do because it ain't over until he says so. May you be energized by the charis of God, the grace of God that is not just his unmerited favor. It's not just a cushion we fall on when we make mistakes. Thank God for his mercy. But it is his love and power that causes us to rise up in life and overcome. Peter's the one, the ordinary flaky fisherman who almost lost it, who denied the Lord. He says, Peter, feed my lambs tend my sheep and he comes on common ground with them I phileo you see the Lord phileos us he has affection for us so that we can learn to agape him we don't agape God because it's just we're, we're not that great yet but God empowers us to love him back but Peter's the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost think about this man the spirit of God comes Peter's the one who stood up he was a leader he was a leader. And the enemy was trying to stifle that leadership. But Jesus reoriented his heart and poured out costly love upon him and said, get up. It's time to rise up. And I love the story in Acts 12. May we be set free from the prison of defeat and lies. and Stand up and rise up and follow the Lord and then go and feast on him and then go and feed other hungry souls the love of God because that's what they need. Can you say amen? I want to pray for you. Lord, I love your people. I pray that every soul receive your love. Oh, the love of God. No greater love than this. Oh, that we would receive your love. Here is love 
vast as the ocean. The love of God. Oh, the love of God. Take a moment and just bask in his love. Lift up your hands right now, would you? Bask in his love. Bask in his love. Take a moment. Receive his love. Let him restore you. Let him fill you right now. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name. attitude of prayer if you would and worship and just receive I want to quote a, a hymn the love of God and quote some of the chorus and then the third verse is so powerful the love of God is greater far than any tongue or pen can ever tell it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell the wandering child is reconciled by God's beloved son the aching soul again made whole and priceless pardon won. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stock on earth a quill, and every scribe by trade, everyone a scribe by trade, to write down the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the love of God. Lord, I thank you for your people, and we feast on your love. We orient our hearts at you. We thank you that you know who we are, right where we're at, what we need, and where we're headed. And I declare destiny and hope and encouragement to every soul and every heart. And as we receive your love, teach us to be radical, self-giving, and sacrificial, and foot washers to one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Hi, Pastor Zach here at Encounter Church in Rochester, New York. Hope you were blessed by that message. And we want to give you an opportunity to sow into the ministry if you'd like to. If you would, just go to revival.me and click on the button that says give. Thanks again and have a blessed, blessed day.